You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Again, welcome to everyone. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to go to Genesis chapter 12 today. In Genesis chapter 12, as we wrap up our series and with it our practice on dealing with our past. And if you've been with us the last couple weeks, you know the basic idea behind this series is the reality that oftentimes the reason that we feel stuck in our discipleship to Jesus is because we are stuck in unhealthy patterns of living that has been passed down to us through our family of origin. And therefore, if we want to get unstuck, if we want to grow and mature into the men or the women that Christ has called us and created us to be, oftentimes we need to go back in order for us to move forward. Uh, Dr. Monica McGoldrick, who is a psychologist and a specialist on the genogram, writes the following... Our culture tends to focus on the individual, or at most on couples and children, downplaying the importance of our extended families, though their role is enormous in shaping our lives. The idea of just moving on whenever problems arise has been a time-honored concept in our society. If you don't get along with your parents, or if they don't like your choice, or your mate, or way of life, just move to California and see the family once or twice a year. But she goes on to write, at the deepest level, we are part of all that we have been and part of all that our families have been. Put another way, no matter how hard or how fast you try to run from your past, your past is with you wherever you go. And because this is true, if we want to break free from unhealthy patterns that have been woven down the line and throughout our family history, we have to go back and learn how to deal with these unhealthy patterns in a healthy way. The great C.S. Lewis once wrote, A sum can be put to right, but only by going back till you find the air and then working it afresh from that point, never by simply moving on. That being said, as we come to a close in our series today, uh, though the last couple weeks we have focused on all of the negative patterns in our family history, and I know that has been somewhat emotionally exhausting for some of you, This week, we are ready to shift gears and to go from focusing on the negative to focusing on the positive. Amen. And so on that note, let's go to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 1. And we're going to look just one more time at the same story that we've been working through over the last few weeks, except this time we're going to look at it uh, from a totally different perspective. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1, says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and show your fa- uh, and, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." This is the beginning of the story of Israel, and eventually it leads all the way to Jesus and is passed down to you and me. So this story in Genesis 12 is our story. And if you notice, it's a story that starts with a blessing. If you look again in verse 2, God comes to this man named Abram, who would eventually have his name changed to Abraham, and he says to him, I am going to bless you. 
The word that is used here for bless is the Hebrew word baruch. And literally it means the following. To bless is to speak words invoking divine favor with the intent that the object will have favorable circumstances or state at a future time. Now in America... This idea of being blessed by God has been totally bent out of shape. So before I talk about what it means to be blessed by God, let me talk about what it does not mean. And what I want you to notice is that whenever you look at the life of Abraham, when God makes a promise to Abraham that he is going to bless him, the promise is not that he is going to make Abraham healthy or wealthy. The promise is not that he is going to give Abraham a smoking hot wife, or a six-figure salary, or a lake house, or somehow make his life really, really easy. In fact, if you know anything about the story of Abraham, you know his life was anything but easy. Uh, He went through famine. Uh, He uh, went through bankruptcy, uh, betrayal. Him and his wife experienced infertility for decades, right? And so this is not a blessing that is about health, wealth, and prosperity. So if that's what a blessing is not, then what exactly is a blessing? And in short, in this context, with this story, the blessing is a promise that God is going to father Abraham. That he is going to allow Abraham to live under his divine favor and protection and his love and approval and good intentions. And then in return, Abraham is to be like a father to the world. He is meant to pass on this divine favor from God and the good intentions of God to the generations after him so the world, including you and me, can be blessed. And this is exactly what we see happen. If you will, turn over to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 8, Abraham is now an older man. He is 175 years old. It's a pretty good life. And in verse 8, it says the following, Genesis 25 verse 8, Abraham breathed his last breath And then he died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. Skip down to verse 11. And after his death, the death of Abraham, God, what's the word there? Blessed Isaac, his son. If you turn over to chapter 26, verse 23, Genesis 26, verse 23. It says, from there... Isaac went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham... Your father, which I love that. Isaac is like, which God are you again? He's like, I'm your dad's God. He's like, oh, okay, that sums it up. I'm the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring. Why? For my servant Abraham's sake. So the blessing starts with Abraham. And then, for Abraham's sake, the blessing is passed down from Abraham to Isaac from one generation to another. And it doesn't stop there. Look over to Genesis chapter 27, verse 26. Genesis chapter 27, verse 26. And just to set the context for you, Isaac had two sons. Anybody know their names? Jacob and Esau. Very good. Esau, because he is the older son, is actually supposed to be in line to receive a blessing from his father. But Jacob, being the deceiver that he is, goes to his blind father and deceives him, makes him think that he's actually Esau so that he can steal his brother's blessing. And it actually works. Look with me in verse 26. It says, And his father Isaac said to him, Come near to me, my son. He's talking to Jacob. So he came near and he kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See the smell of my son. It is as a smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. And if you're like, ooh, that's gross. Like he smells like a field. 
Like this is an agrarian society, so this is actually a compliment. It's his way of saying that you are flourishing, you are full of life, that you are blessed, so you will be able to bless others. Verse 28, he says, May God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and the plenty of grain and wine. And let the people serve you, and the nations bow down to you. And be Lord over your brothers. And may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. This is an incredible blessing from a father to a son. But then look what happens whenever uh, Esau comes on the scene. Verse 30. As soon as Isaac had left... Look at this. Verse 31, Esau comes in. He had prepared delicious food, and he brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat his son's game, that you may now, what? Bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? And he answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I blessed him. Yes, he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me even also, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? Which is an idiom meaning like a cheater. He's a deceiver. For he has cheated me now twice. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him from servants, from grain and wine. I have sustained him. What can I do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you but just one blessing, my father? Bless me even also, O my father. And then Esau lifted up his voice and wept. So notice how over and over Esau is pleading with his dad to bless him, to speak a favorable word into his life, to to affirm him. And so Isaac says, Okay, I'll, I'll bless you. And look at the blessing that he gives to Esau, verse 39. Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of the heavens on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. It's like, um, let's try it again. Can I get like another blessing, please? It's the worst ever. And as a result, in verse 41, it says, Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. This is absolutely a tragic mix-up where the wrong son actually gets blessed. But if you know the rest of the story, you can go read this for yourself actually in Genesis 28. Actually, uh, by the sovereignty of God, this is God working behind the scenes the whole time to make sure that actually Jacob, by his grace, received the blessing and not Esau. And if you flip over just one last time to chapter 48, flip over there with me, Genesis 48, We're going to see this divine blessing from God passed down once again. Genesis chapter 48, starting in verse 1, we read the following. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father Jacob is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and it was told to Jacob, Your son has come to you. Then Israel, which was Jacob's name later in his life, then Israel summoned his strength and set up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make you of a company of people and I will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. Now skip down to verse 8. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Which is just funny. It's like... That's your, your grandkids, Dad. Right? Look, who are these, these boys? 
Joseph said to his father, these are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may, what's the word? Bless them. And I may bless them. Now skip down to verse 13. And so Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand, toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand, uh, toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near. And then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And then, look at this, he blessed Joseph, his son, and then, look at this, he, he said this, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God of who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. So now this is the fifth generation from Abraham. And in them, let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And the story goes on. The whole point of sharing that is just to, just to say this. Notice in the story... That the blessing is passed down from Abraham to Isaac, and then from Isaac to Jacob, and from Jacob to Joseph, and then from Joseph to his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and down the family line. And I share that with you because what I want you to consider this morning is the reality that just like Abraham's family, we all inherit a mixed bag from our family of origin. Right? We all have things in our family that we are not proud of, maybe even a little bit embarrassed of, or we wish was not there. But the reality is, what I want you to see today is that no matter how dysfunctional or jacked up your family may be, the odds are still high that there is some kind of divine blessing that has been passed down to you through your family line. And there are a lot of examples I could give um, just from my own life. Uh, my family is far from perfect, just like your family. If you don't believe me, come hang out with us on Christmas or just spend some time with us for a little while. But one of the reasons that I am a follower of Jesus and a pastor is because my dad is a follower of Jesus and a pastor. And one of the reasons that we are in the position that we are in is because my fourth great-grandmother's brother, a man by the name of Robert Thomas. And I got a chance to learn a lot more about Robert. Um, I need to switch to a different mic because this ain't crackling bothering you guys. Let me see if I can turn to this. Let me see. Check, check, check. All right, there we go. Um, I learned a lot about Robert Thomas just this past week, thanks to Julie. I don't know if Julie's even in here, but she's like this like masterancestry.com person, and so she was helping me do a lot of research on this. But I want to read uh, this to you. This, again, is my fourth great-grandmother's brother, and this is what I read this past week. Though a farmer by trade, Robert Thomas was instrumental in laying down a spiritual foundation for generations to come. How incredible is that, by the way? Like one day we will all draw our last breath on earth and somebody will probably go back and try to figure out like, hey, what was my great-grandfather Jared like or, or whatever, right? And there will be a reputation. There will be a legacy that we leave behind. It says Robert Thomas was instrumental in laying down a spiritual foundation for generations to come. He was a respected Baptist preacher and a founder of several churches, which means he was a church planner like me. Traveling the region during the American Revolution, he preached to troops and gave moral support to the cause. Robert Thomas founded, listen to this, Catfish Baptist Church in 1802. There it is. Let's just agree right now, that's the best name ever. And not only is it a great name, it's a beautiful building. It's still standing today, and it's in South Carolina on the National Register of Historical Buildings. And outside of this building, there's a plaque that reads the following. Listen to this. This church has ordained 11 ministers, 
provided a missionary to Brazil and has assisted in establishing a number of other churches. Isn't that incredible? And what makes this guy, Robert Thomas, even greater is it says, while on a preaching tour, right, so he's going around preaching the gospel, Robert Thomas died at 1816 at Britain's Neck in Marion County. So he literally died preaching the gospel in a place called Britain's Neck, which is even more strange because Britain's Neck, which I Googled this week, is named after a man by the name of Moses Britton, which is my third child's name. Isn't that crazy? Didn't know any of this until this past week. It's a crazy story. And listen, the whole point of me sharing all that is just to say this. Whether your family is filled with pastors or prostitutes, whether you come from rags or riches, no matter who you are or where you come from, we are all standing on the shoulders of others. You and I are where we are today because of those who have gone before us. And though, again, we all have stuff in our life that we wish was not there, the reality is, listen, no matter how screwed up you think your family may be, The reality is, if you look hard enough, I believe you will find divine blessings that have been passed down to you through your family. Things that are good and beautiful and true that should cause us to pause for a moment and say, thank you, God, for the grace that you've poured out to me through my family. But not only to stop and celebrate that, which, by the way, is very needed in our culture where we always play the victim and focus on all the negative, right? But also, we need to do this, not just to say thank you to God for what you have done, but then secondly, we need to stop and ask the question, okay, God, like now, what do you want me to do with this divine blessing? How do you want me to take what has been passed down to me and steward it in such a way that is good for the generations that come after me? I think back to that blessing from God to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, where God says to Abraham, I will bless you, and through you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed or shall be baruched. Put another way, Abraham, the reason that I am blessing you is so that you can be a blessing. I am, by my grace, extending to you my divine, undeserved favor, not for the purpose of you just sitting on it, but for the purpose of you now going and blessing the generations that are going to come after you. And the reason this is so important today is, listen, guys, if you are a follower of Jesus, God is saying the exact same thing to you and me today. Whether it be a relational blessing or a financial blessing, or a spiritual blessing, or an educational blessing. The point of us being blessed, please hear me, is not to say, oh, cool, God, thanks for the divine hookup. But it is for us to literally say, how can I now steward this in a way that is good for others and ultimately to the glory of your name? And a lot of that, this is why we say that one of the key tasks in our discipleship to Jesus is to identify all of the ways that our family line has been blessed and then to commit to passing the blessing on to the generations that follow. To identify the favor of God on our family and then to say, okay, God, what do you want me to do with this favor? How do you want me to pass this on to my children and the world around me so that others can experience this divine favor? In a lot of this, Dr. John Trent, who wrote the best-selling book, The Blessing, identifies five aspects of how we can pass on a blessing to the generation that comes after us. And he pulls these things from the story of Abraham coupled with a lot of psychological research. And I found this really helpful, so I'm going to share it with you. He says, if we want to pass on a blessing to the next generation, he says there's five things we must do. And the first thing he says is this, is we must commit to meaningful and appropriate touch. In the story that we just read, Isaac laid hands on Jacob. And Jacob laid hands on Ephraim and Manasseh. 
And if you read the rest of the Bible, this is not an isolated event. And that is because, as many of you know, something powerful happens when you are appropriately touched by someone else. I don't understand all this, but research tells us at a neurobiological level, there is an infusion of life force and energy and warmth and affirmation whenever we are touched that benefits our entire well-being. And therefore, if you wish to pass on a blessing, appropriate, meaningful, physical touch must be there. Secondly, there must be a spoken message. My mom grew up in a home with a father who was a World War II vet. And if you know anything about the World War II generation, they are what sociologists refer to as mute men. And the reason for that is because basically we had a bunch of 18-year-olds who were shipped off to war, and they started watching their buddies get blown to pieces. And to keep from going crazy, they had to flip an emotional switch off, which helped them survive the war. But when they came back over to civilian life, they weren't able to flip the switch back on. And therefore, what happened in the World War II generation is these men, the new bar of manhood was basically just be a man of integrity, work hard, and make sure that you have a roof over your kids, food on the table, and clothes on their back. But there was no real like imparting of emotions to their kids. And as a result of that, I was talking to my mom on New Year's Day, and I never heard this, but she said that, you know, I never doubted my dad loved me, but in 83 years of his life, he never actually said it. 83 years the man was alive, and he never once looked at his daughter and said, I love you. And my mom kind of played that off like, oh, it's not a big deal. And I was like, Mom, this is a huge deal. And if that's where you are, this is a huge, huge deal. Because we were created in the image of a God who spoke the world into existence, our words have power, lots of power. Our words have the ability to, to, to absolutely give life or give death, to build up or to tear down. And therefore, if we want to pass on a blessing, rather than confusing our kids or making them wonder, like, what does mom or dad really think of me? Just as Abraham spoke his blessing to his son Isaac, and Isaac spoke a blessing to his son Jacob, and Jacob gave a verbal blessing to each of his 12 sons and to his two grandchildren, we too must speak a loud, clear, and emphatic blessing to our children. Third, he says, if we want to pass on a blessing to the next generation, we need to attach a high value to the one being blessed. If you think back to when Isaac blessed Jacob, he attached a value to him. Remember that line where he said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. This is his way of attaching value to his son. And if we want to pass on a blessing to the next generation, we need to commit to doing the same thing. And I would say this, we need to do this early on before our kids are ever actually able to give us anything back in return. For those of you who have young kids, you know that basically... All they can do for you when they are young is uh, break your stuff, cost you a lot of money. Um, let's see, what else can they do? They can make a lot of messes, and they make you sick and tired all the time. Like right now, I have two kids at home with the flu, and my wife now has the flu. And so as a germaphobe, I was like, got to go do ministry, babe. Good luck. I'm out of here. Um, and so that's pretty much all kids can do whenever they're young. And therefore, it's so important that whenever they're doing all of that, basically just making messes and costing you a lot of money, that you look at them and you say, man, I love you so much. I value you. And it's so important we do that when they're young so they can know that I love you not because of what you do, but simply because of who you are. We attach high value to them. So important if we're going to pass on a blessing. Fourth, Dr. Trent says, if we want to pass on a blessing, and this is huge, we need to picture a special future. We need to picture a special future. This is whenever we look through our child's future and we actually say to them, I can see you becoming this. 
This is where you go from just simply saying, I love you and believe in you, which is important, to saying, you know what? I can see the way God has wired you. I can see the way he has blessed you. And I can see as a result, this is the way that he plans to use you or could use you to be a blessing to the people around you. We see this again with the story of Isaac and Jacob, where, where Isaac said to him, May God give you the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth. Let people serve you and the nations bow down to you. This is an example of a father picturing for his son, picturing for his son a special future. And though we may not be able to predict to the degree of accuracy our kids' future, like Isaac did for his, we can still help those that we are blessing to see a future that is full of light and opportunity. We can still let them know that we believe in their ability to build an outstanding life for themselves because of the strengths, abilities, and resources that God has given them. Fifth, I would just say this, an active uh, commitment to fulfill the blessing. This is also an important aspect of passing on a blessing. A commitment to fulfill the blessing. This is where we don't just drop the mic and walk away, but we as parents live in a way that it makes it easier for our kids to step into their blessing, into who God made them to be. This may mean uh, sharing finances. It may mean sharing wisdom or time, or encouragement, again, all for the purpose of just helping them fulfill God's call, not your call, by the way, I'll be clear on that, but fulfilling God's call on their lives. You know, oftentimes, for better or for worse, whatever you speak over your children is what they become. That's why I cringe whenever I hear parents say negative things about their kids or to their kids or, you know, when their kids are around. Because we typically tend to embrace that identity and then live into it. And, you know, I do a lot of things wrong as a dad. I've shared those with you guys openly. But one of the things that I do really well, I feel like, and I've been doing over the last couple of years, is every single night before my kids go to bed, we speak a blessing into their life. And we basically try to pick something that we've seen from that day specifically that's like an evidence of grace that reminds us of God. And so, for example, on Friday night, um, earlier that day, Wyatt was scared of going to school for different uh, different reasons. And I told him, I said, man, son, whenever I saw you walk through that door, I saw you walk through your fears. And dude, that reminded me so much of Jesus. That was so courageous. That was so brave. That was like Christ who walked through his fear. And, and, and then through that, he did it for the blessing of others. I said, man, that, you were so much like Jesus in that, buddy. I said, you're so brave. You're so courageous. Nora, just yesterday, she went to her cousin Addie's birthday party. And our daughter's... Uh, if you know her, she's just a unique girl. And she said, you know what? I don't want to buy Addie a present. I want to make her a present. So she just cut off these little like four pieces of uh, cardboard box from like a shoe box or something. And she built this cardboard house. And then she put inside of it a note, a handwritten letter that she wrote to her cousin to let her know how much she loved her and how thankful she was to be invited to the party. And I, I told her that night, I said, man, Nora, I'm like, you're so creative. Like you're so creative and you're so kind and you got such an imagination and I love how you can bind those things that God blessed you with so that you can be a blessing to others, right? And Moses is only two, so he just like murmurs and I'm not sure he really understands me, so we don't do it with him yet. But 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 I do this because I know there's coming a day where my sons are going to become men and my daughter is going to become a woman. And when that happens, I want them to step into the blessings that have been passed down to them so that they can be a blessing to the world around them. Now, all that being said, and I know that is a lot, before we end, I want to have a word with the fathers, or for those of you who one day plan to be a father. As important as a mom is in the lives of her children, and I think we can all agree they are very important to their children, uh, you as a dad play a key role in blessing your children. 
Um, If you notice in this story, the blessing is passed down, fathers, from one generation to another, not by the mother, not by an aunt or an uncle, but rather through the dad. And this is partly because I believe this is a patriarchal society, but I also believe it's in large part today because study after study after study, what we see is there's piles of scientific evidence and psychological research from every spectrum of society that says every single kid needs a father's blessing. Every kid desperately needs to hear a father say, I love you and affirm you and to speak life into them. And unfortunately, because of the collapse of marriage and because we are living in what sociologists refer to as the Peter Pan syndrome, where there are more and more men who are refusing to grow up. There are fewer and fewer children who are receiving a blessing from their dads. And the problem is, if you do not receive a blessing, oftentimes we can turn out more like Esau than like Jacob. And if you know anything about Esau, you know that though he was successful in the eyes of the world, he grew up to be a man who basically deep down inside was an angry, hurt child in a man's body. Uh, Last week, I I preached a funeral, and a guy came up to me after the funeral, and my brother was there. He can vouch for this. He came up to me, and uh, he said, hey, great job, you know, today. And then he went right into for the next 10 to 15 minutes just talking about himself and how amazing he was. And this guy, I mean, you you should have seen him. He had, like, the coolest suit on in the world. He had this power tie. He had Ray-Ban glasses, perfect hair. His wife looked like a Barbie doll. And he began to tell me how he was the CEO of a multi-billion dollar industry in Plano, Texas, and how he had 70,000 people working for him, and how he owned a, a horse farm and had four families employed there on the horse farm, and they send horses all over the world, and he's also a professional bodybuilder, and he can bench press 500 pounds. And as he was talking the whole time, I'm thinking, like, dude, this guy had to have had a jacked-up relationship with his dad. And, and sure enough... He eventually says, yeah, my dad was an alcoholic, man. I pulled myself up on my bootstraps. I didn't get anything from him, but I've, I've, I've grown up, man, and I've done things he could have never done. And I thought, great, bingo. There we go. I thought, man, this guy, he represents so many people in the world who get up every day, and they work 90 hours a week, and they take selfies, and they gossip, and they look down on others, and they blow money they don't have, and they look really, really successful on the outside, and they actually hate themselves. And the problem is not that these people are bad people. The problem is they've never been blessed by a father. And they are spending their lives striving just to hear those words, you're good enough. To hear those words, you don't have to make a ton of money. To hear those words, you don't have to bench press 500 pounds or be famous. You are loved and you are accepted by me just the way that you are. Now I worked at Arkansas Counseling for five years before I became a pastor and I met with hundreds of families And of all the people I met with in five years, only two of the families had a dad in the home. And of those two families, one of the dads was basically a vegetable because he had done so many drugs, and the other one had sexually abused his daughter. And and as I met with these kids who battled depression and anxiety and defiant behavior, I could not help but wonder how many of these kids' issues were just the result of a deep, unmet need for a father's blessing. Maybe for some of you or maybe many of you in the room today, this is where you are. And you hear this message right now and you're like, okay, Jerry, this is great. So encouraging. You know, I need a dad's blessing. What about if my dad died when I was seven? You know, or what if my dad walked out on my family? Or worse, what if my dad stayed with our family, but he was physically, sexually, or emotionally abusive? Or what if he just wasn't there? What if he was the mute man who was there, but he wasn't there? 
Or maybe what if you're here this morning and you had a great dad, but now you're a single mom and the dad's gone and you're trying to raise the kids by yourself. I mean, Jared, what kind of encouragement is there for me today? And with that in mind, I want to end this morning as we do every single week with Jesus. And so I want you to flip over with me to Mark chapter 10. We'll end here this morning. Mark chapter 10. If you hang on with me for about five more minutes. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. Jesus is gaining an incredible amount of popularity because of the miracles he has been performing. And as a result of that, in Mark chapter 10, verse 13, we read the following. It says that the crowds begin to bring their children to Jesus so that he might touch them. So, so they know Jesus is a holy man. The parents know he's a big deal. They know he has favor with God. So they're saying, man, if we could just get Jesus to touch our kids, that would change their life. Like That would change their whole trajectory. So they're bringing their kids around, just hoping that Jesus will touch them. But then the disciples, whenever they saw this, rebuked them. So the disciples look at these people and they're like, hey, don't you know like, Jesus is too important for you and your kids? He's too busy. He don't have time for this. But then look what Jesus, how he responded. Verse 14, when Jesus saw the disciples were doing this, he became indignant, which means he got really, really mad at the disciples. And he said, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a child, shall not enter it. And then in verse 16, look at this. He took the kids in his arms, and he what? He blessed them, laying his hands on them. The truth is this morning, even if you were never blessed by your own father on earth, through Jesus Christ, you can be blessed by your father in heaven. And that's what all of us really need. And through the family of God, which is the church, you can become an agent of that blessing now to the world, to a fatherless world. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he has set up the church to be a place where no matter what kind of family you had, you can now be reparented into the family of God. A place where you can hear the blessing of God the Father spoken over your life so that you can now, no matter who you are or where you come from or what wounds you have, because of Jesus, you can receive right now in full the love and the affirmation and the blessing of a father. And from that place, you can live as a blessing to the world around you. Not from a place of deficiency, but from a place where you have everything that you need and were created to experience in Him. In light of that, as we end our series, our practice for this week, it's really simple. It's to do three things. It's to stop, it's to start, and it's to continue. It's to take time a lot of the first two weeks to think about, and if you, by the way, did not hear those teachings and you want to, you can get those off our app or our website. But it's to think about those first two weeks and to think about, man, what are the things from my family that I want to stop, that I do not want to pass on to my kids? That's important. So that you don't repeat some of those same things. You, you can be the person, isn't that awesome? You can be the person right now that says, no more. It's not going any further than this. So what are the things that I want to stop? Secondly, what are the things that we want to start as we begin to think about the divine blessings of what's been good in our family line? The things that have been passed down to me by the grace of God that we want to make sure that we start doing with our kids. And then third, 
the, the, the practical step is to continue it. In the midst of a culture where you're going to be swimming upstream, in the midst of a culture where most people are not thinking about the generations that come after them, but just thinking about instant gratification today, is to continue to press forward. Again, so that we can bless the world around us for the good of others and ultimately for the glory of God. With that in mind, I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning as the band comes forward. And I just want to pray a blessing over you and then we'll take of, partake of communion. And here's specifically what I want you to remember as we partake of communion. The reason each week we as Christians tear off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice is because it's a reminder that just as God the Father spoke to his son Jesus and said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, he now says the same thing to you if you are in Christ. What is true of Jesus is now true of you. And when you come and you tear off the bread and the juice today, I want you to feel the pleasure of your heavenly Father on your life. Even if you looked at porn last night, even if you're still struggling with addiction, even if your marriage is on the rocks, even if you are struggling with anxiety and depression, and who knows what else, if you are in Christ, feel the pleasure of the Father. Zephaniah 3.21 says that God, if you are in Christ, rejoices over you with singing right now. You. He rejoices over you with singing as an individual. So I want to encourage you to come. We have two stations in the front, two stations in the back. If you are a Christian, you're trusted in Christ, come and partake of communion. If you were here today and you were not a Christian, I'm so glad that you were here. What you were longing for, what you were striving for is the love of a father. And it's yours today if you will simply come to Jesus with the empty hands of faith. And if you want to know more about how you can do that, I'll be standing right up here in the front row. You can come and talk to me. I'd love to pray with you. But I want to pray a blessing over you right now, and then we'll partake of communion. Father, thank you so much for every man, woman, and child who is here today. Father, I know that there is nobody who is in this room who is here by accident, even if maybe they felt that from their parents, like they weren't wanted or like they didn't belong. They belong, Father, because you have brought them into your world by your design for such a time as this. And the enemy has convinced maybe someone in here that they are unlovable, that their life is on plan B or plan C, that there is no hope. God, they are looking for love in men or women or drugs or success or pleasure. And yet they are unfulfilled. They are lonely and they are longing for the love and the embrace of a father. And I pray that right now through the power of your spirit that you would open their eyes to see your smile and your favor and your love and your grace that has been poured out for them through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray.